Morning, church. I was sitting there listening to all the, the worship the music songs that we had this morning, and I didn't need to preach. I mean, the gospel is right there and very clearly spoken, so this morning I pray that uh, it would be the same with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for another day awakening us. Father God, we do give you thanks and praise for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all of our sins, and we are ever grateful for that. So Father, be with us, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to the message that's been put upon my heart, and that would clearly, through my lips, would do that this morning, clearly. So Father, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. 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 So the text for today, the scripture reading I took for today is um, from, we continue, Luke 7, verses 18 to 35. And if you're following in the red uh, hymnal that's underneath the chairs, it's found on page 863. Again, Luke 7, 18 to 35. The disciples of John reported all of these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, Those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We say in a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We're setting the scene here that Jesus was, had, was talking from Beatitudes and teaching in parables. Um, we have a healing of a centurion servant and a raising a widow's son in Nain. 
as you've seen in previous verses before my text. And we see that the people of Nain said Jesus is a great prophet and he has risen from among them. This report from Nain has spread throughout Judea. We have to understand what Jesus was doing. He was teaching in, in parables. He was healing. So the word got around to Judea and everywhere else about him of what he has done. So the people are interested in him. And the disciples of John the Baptist has reported all that Jesus has done as we see in verse 18. In verse 18, it does not specifically say John the Baptist. You have to look down to verse 20, and there we know it is John the Baptist that they are talking about in this text. So why did not John the Baptist talk to the Lord directly? Well, because he was in prison. As seen in Matthew eleven twelve. And the question is, why is he in prison? Here's a reminder from Matthew 14, verses 3 and 4. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So that's where John the Baptist is. And I'm letting you know ahead of time, when I say John, I'm referring to John the Baptist. So if he's, sometimes I'll say John the Baptist and sometimes I'll say John. So it's John the Baptist. And the theme of the Lord continues in verses 18 to 35 because if you look back into um, 7, or I'm excuse me, chapter 6, verse 46, what um, Dr. Runkel repl- uh, went to here two, about two weeks ago now, about why do you call me Lord, Lord? So we have the theme continuing that Jesus is Lord in this section. Let's begin with the first point this morning. Jesus confirms that he is Lord and is one who is to come. He does this by answering the questions sent by John the Baptist. Why the questions of John the Baptist? Why? There are a lot of given reasons on why he asked these questions to Jesus through his disciples. And here, here's some stuff that I found out. He said that this only to convince his own disciples was one of the theories about this. Another one was John, the outdoorsman, trapped in a cell, in a prison cell, was getting nervous and anxious. John was impatient for Jesus to act, was another reason. And Jesus was not acting in an expectant pattern of eschatological judgment. Where we know about John the Baptist, he was a fiery preacher, and he preached about judgment. But one thing that I came upon after reading the text and looking at various commentaries, there was some doubt in John. Doubt is the one, I believe, because of the questions John asked, and here are the other reasons. You see, John hasn't been in prison for, for some period of time. Now John, who is used to being outdoors, he lived in the wilderness. He had the freedom to go everywhere he walked. He was not confined. But now he is here in a prison cell. And the only thing that I come close to that, to his feeling, is being on a Navy ship, being deployed for many plus days out to sea, sea lock, if you will. You get that impatient, you get anxious feeling. You're tired of the people that you're around. So there's that sense of being anxious and almost sometimes feeling anxiety and a little bit of depression being locked up or bound up like that. Also, he had the physical and emotional strain. It had to be great. Could you imagine if you're in a cell? I haven't been in a prison cell. I've did prison ministry. Or I've seen jail cells. But sometimes you're there by yourself. Maybe you have another person with you. But you're confined to this little space for some time. So it had to be weighing on him. We also see in the Old Testament of the great spiritual leaders that have had their days of doubt. Moses had some doubt. Elijah and Jeremiah, the same thing. 
I have to point out here, there is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God is doing or why is He doing it. And unbelief is a matter of the will when we refuse to be, believe God's Word and obey it. There's a difference. Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. Oswald Chambers. It may be a sign that he is thinking. In John's case, his inquiry was not born of willful unbelief, but of doubt nourished by physical and emotional strain and worrying about his future. John wanted confirmation to counteract his doubt if Jesus is the one who is to come. You see, you and I have the advantage looking back. We're on this side of the cross. We're on this side of the resurrection. We know what happens, but John at that time did not fully, I don't think, understood what was about to happen or realize it at this point. Like I said before, John had announced judgment, but Jesus was doing deeds of love and mercy. John had promised that the kingdom was at hand, but there's no evidence of what he could tell that was in view for him. How about you and I? Do we doubt sometimes? Do we doubt the Word of God in our difficult moments in our life and the stress and the anxieties? I'm not talking about we doubt the salvation that we have. I'm talking about the doubt of where is God? Why is God doing this in my life at this particular time? I believe we've all experienced that, a little bit of doubt. You know, we doubt, okay, where God, where are you leading us? Where are you leading me? Why am I going through this pain? Remember, when we are born again, who do we have in us? We have God, we have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us and abiding in us to help us through that. Now we have the interaction of Jesus and John's disciples. Again, mentioned earlier, John's disciples reports to him of all what Jesus has done. In verse 19 and 20, it reads again, Calling two of his disciples sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when John the Baptist had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent you to us, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? It's interesting that John's disciples act exactly the way John the Baptist wanted to ask that question. Exactly. John, Jesus responds showing that, that he is Lord and is the one who is to come in verse 21. Jesus responds by his divine power. Jesus, we see here, is people of many that he heals them of diseases, of plagues, and evil spirits. Jesus, listen to this, Jesus graciously gave freely of his power to heal these people. It was his free, gracious gift. Jesus did not ask anything in return of the people. What does this point to? To the cross. He graciously died on the cross. It was a benefit not for only the disciples and the people there and John the Baptist, but for us today. In verse 22, we see the word go. It's not the same thing as go and make disciples of all nations, but what it is, Jesus is telling John the Baptist's disciples, go from here to prison and tell John, what I have said and what you have seen. We have Jesus. I'm reminded of Hebrews. We have Jesus who is Lord and as a great high priest who sympathizes with the weakness of his people. Again, Jesus displays the divine power as Lord and the one who is to come. 
Isaiah 29, 18 and 19 reads, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35, 4-6, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. One of my favorite ones right here, Isaiah 42, 1-7. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for the law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And another thing I like about this verse here, Jesus teaches the poor the good news about himself. Jesus Jesus is preaching about himself. He's not prideful. He wants people to believe in him for salvation. You have Jesus there preaching the good news about himself. Imagine that for a moment. In verse 23, Jesus gives a beatitude, a short one, that is calling of a faith and a solely focus on Jesus himself. We are blessed when we are not offended by Jesus Christ. We are blessed. Here the word offended in Greek means scandalizo, which literally means trip up or be entrapped. We see in this verse it's used figuratively of someone who refuses to accept Jesus' claims or to draw near to them. They are trapped by sin. Doesn't sin do that in our lives? Until the Holy Spirit convicts us that we draw to Jesus Christ? We are trapped. Cyril of Alexandria says, And blessed is he who was not offended in me. The Jews were indeed offended, either as not knowing the depth of the mystery or because they did not seek to know the mystery. Every part of the inspired Scripture announced beforehand what the Word of God would humble himself to emptiness and seen on earth. This plainly refers to when he was as we are, and would justify by faith everything under heaven. Although Scripture prophesies all this, they stumbled against Him, struck against the rock of offense, fell, and were ground to powder. Although they plainly saw Him clothed with unspeakable dignity and surpassing glory, by means of the wondrous deeds He performed, they threw stones at Him and said, Why do you, being a man, make yourself God? In answer to these things, Christ rebuked the immeasurable infirmity of their intellect and said, If I do not the works 
of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe my works. Blessed is he who does not stumble against Christ, that he is he who believes in him. Second point for this morning. Jesus confirms that he is Lord and is the one who is to come. He does this by clarifying on who John the Baptist is in verses 24 to 28, and I read again. When John's message had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus clarified on who John the Baptist is by commending, affirming, and complimenting him. John was not a compromiser. He is not easily shaken. He is not a really like shaken in the wind. Also, we should never compromise either. This is an example that we see by, from, about John, who John is. And Jesus talks about him about that. Again, John was a fiery preacher that preached of a coming judgment and a need for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Friends, are you rooted in the Word of God? Are you rooted in Jesus Christ? I mean, look at the world around us that we face today. Our nation is changing. Our world is changing before us. And all the stuff that's happened, we have had terrorist activity again. People are dying. But you know, there's one thing that it's missing in all this that, that I have not seen. Nobody's calling out to God. Nobody's calling out to God for help, for salvation. They're worried about many other things in the world. We need to come down on our knees and come to God as a nation and as a world. We cannot compromise anymore. The writing is on the wall of what's going on in this world. Maybe the time is coming soon. I don't know. We don't know the time or hour. But brothers and sisters, it's been on my mind for the last three years that we need to humble ourselves, that we need to come down on our knees individually as a church, as a nation, as we're, and come back to God. John did not compromise. He did not sway from the truth on his ministry. We need to dig our heels in for spiritual battle that engulfs us today. Now, reminded of the armor of God, we have the armor of God to be put on us. We do have that. You see, John did not dress like those in the king's court. His clothes were not soft. We know what soft clothes and, and hard clothes are felt. Soft clothes isn't the ones you keep washing and cleaning all the time. They get soft after a while, but we're talking about the nice towels. John did not live in luxury like those in the king's court. He lived in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. How many of here, of course, we've eaten honey, I think everybody here, right? Does anybody eat a locust, a grasshopper? Not on purpose, exactly right. I mean, if you live out in the rural area of Minnesota and you drive your bike and you open your mouth in the summertime for what, three seconds, what happens? You get bugs coming in your mouth. A few times I've been, you know, on the side of the road and just coughing. 
And we've been, many of us maybe have been in nice hotels where you feel the towels of being softness. And I forget one time when I was in, in the Navy as a Navy cook, I had an opportunity uh, to be the chief of naval operations, one of his cooks, one of four cooks. I was treated like a king for two days. When I got down to, to the Pentagon, this is before 9-11, I got to the Pentagon, I got a call from his aide, lieutenant commander. He goes, drop your car off, we're going to have the, the admiral's uh, driver pick you up and take you to the hotel. I had no idea what hotel I was staying at. Park my car, we'll take care of you. So I called him, the driver came up. I'm like, wow, this is pretty neat. And seeing those drivers taking me to the hotel. I went to NBC Suites, never been to that nice of a hotel in my life. I'm like, what, 27, 28 years old at that point? And I walked in this room, it was a suite. Everything was paid for. The first thing I did is I touched the towel to feel it. They had a nice robe in there. But you know what? After that experience of driving me around and, and everything was paid for, I had a big steak and lobster that night because it was taken care of. But I felt uncomfortable when I was driving back home. Very uncomfortable. That's not how I should live, really. I mean, it's nice to have those things and we can do that, but that's not who I was, what God has called me to do. And I'm kind of glad I didn't get that position because I think I would have been sucked into that, that world of, of a lot of money coming at you and would have forgotten about everything else. John stood his ground. His call was what? To be the way for Jesus Christ. Jesus affirms that John is a prophet. We see in verses 26 to 27. Malachi 3, 1 and 2 reads, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. When Jesus quotes Malachi 3, 1, he shows that John is preparing the way for him and as the one who is to come. And Jesus complimented John by stating that no one was greater than John. What a complimentary remark from the Lord himself. Now John was not there to hear those remarks. We like compliments, do we not, in our lives? You see, I think I believe in this text right here, it was good for John not to be there. Because sometimes when we don't like certain people or we have a, a, a disagreement with somebody, we don't, we, sometimes we fake how good they are, right? Or compliment them sometimes. But Jesus was totally free of everything to compliment John the Baptist. He was talking true about him. The Lord given a compliment to John the Baptist. And continue on that verse, yet the one who was least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You see, Jesus was not stating that John was not part of the kingdom of God, for John had been preaching the same message of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. So how was the least person in the kingdom of God greater than John, John the Baptist? Well, in position, and for those who us who are believers living on this side of the resurrection, we are greater than John the Baptist, not in terms of personal character or influence, but we have the honor and the privilege of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus was saying that being a great prophet is not nearly so great as being a member of the kingdom of God. 
citizens of the kingdom, for those who believe in Jesus Christ will be under the new covenant and have the law of God written on our hearts. We have to remember that Jesus' primary reason for his ministry was to show and demonstrate that he was the promised Messiah, the true king and the true redeemer, who would fulfill the promises of the covenants of from Abraham and David and the new covenant promises. When Jesus talks about John, it was to show how the ministry of John revealed and established Jesus as the one who was to come, or would some text would say the expected one. Point number three. Jesus confirms that he is Lord and is the one who is to come. He does this by rebuking the generation. We pick up in verse 29. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. Having been baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling us to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The people here are the common people that's in this text, and the tax collectors declare God just. They justify God, which means they agreed with what God said about them, as seen in Psalm 51. But we know that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the, and the lawyers or the scribes, they justified themselves, not God, and rejected John and his message. The people and the tax collectors were receptive and responded to the message of repentance and of faith. John baptized them who accepted God's justice. Just a reminder that John's baptism is with water for repentance. Matthew 3.11 reads, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That last sentence, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Let's talk about the Pharisees and the lawyers, or some say the scribes and other texts. By refusing to be baptized by John, the Pharisees and the lawyers showed they did not accept the message again of repentance for the acceptance of, kingdom, of the kingdom. The Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's plan for salvation for them. How do we see that today? We do see that today. People reject the good news of Jesus Christ. They are more worried about the world than about salvation. And look at the irony of the Pharisees and the lawyers. They were so-called experts of the law and were the ones who should have known about the ministry of John the Baptist and about Jesus. Think about that. They did not accept it. They knew the law. They knew the prophets. They knew about the prophecies. It was right there in front of them. And then rebuking the generation, verses 31 to 35. Some say this is a parable of complaining children. And one I thought that was kind of funny was the parable of complaining brats, was what a couple commentators said. Since the religious leaders were rejecting the message of John and of Jesus, the Lord told this parable to explain their treatment. When Jesus mentioned the people of this generation, he was not speaking of the people mentioned in verse 29. 
who accepted his message. Instead, he was the people in the parable were the Pharisees and the lawyers of verse 30. The rejectors of John and Jesus. Jesus described them as children who are being childish and who want others to respond to their music. They were not satisfied with the behavior of either John or Jesus and did not want to join them. John was too much of an aesthetic and Jesus was too much of a libertarian according to the Pharisees. And what's the application that we see in this parable? The application is the ministries of Jesus and John the Baptist. The ministry of John the Baptist was none like no other that we don't even see today sometimes unless you're overseas in mission fields that you're out in the desert or in the wilderness. John had restrictions living in the wilderness until his ministry by eating locusts and honey as we mentioned before. That's what he ate. And not eating bread and not drinking wine. That's the opposite. Look what Jesus did. He was eating bread and drinking. Some say that John was possessed by a demon because of his lifestyle like someone who was possessed. Well, we know about people being... Um, possessed by demons, we see in Scripture that where did they live? Usually they were in a cave, in a wilderness, and they were left alone. One was in changes, by I do recall. He was possessed. There was a life of loneliness until John was called and he started baptizing people. Jesus did not have any restrictions. The only thing he had to make sure in his ministry that he had to die on the cross. That we, that's what his, his mission right there was to die. He sat down with sinners. I know last time I preached, we were talking about the tax collectors. Jesus was sitting down with sinners. Jesus came eating and drinking and attending weddings and funerals. And many other societal events. And we see the Son of Man. This is a sermon in itself. I'm just going to touch one, one scripture reading, two verses about the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a messianic title taken from Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14. Some of us who have been around for the last two, two and a half years, we went through Daniel. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came no one, one like a Son of Man. And He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Looking at the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus, not so much of the style, but the substance of it. People rejected both of them. People reject Jesus today. And Jesus and John called for repentance, promise of forgiveness, warning of judgment, and proclaim the coming of the kingdom. In every single generation, there were people that would reject God and reject Jesus Christ. The reason why I'm making that clear is that that's what we're facing today. There's going to be many people that we come in contact are going to reject God and Jesus. Many will say that, yes, I believe in Jesus came on this earth. Some will say he, just, he was just a prophet. He didn't rise from the dead. We know that a lot of people believe that. That's where we come in. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse 35, it took me a while to look at this. I had a little bit of a smile on my face about it. This is the gospel. Verse 35. Wisdom's children. Wisdom is that to which is vindicated or proven true. Wisdom children are the redeemed 
and known are by the righteous deeds of their transformed lives produce. We have wisdom in God for those who believe in Jesus Christ, do we not? Wisdom of children. Wisdom of children. How about you? Do you have wisdom of God? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ? And what's the application of the whole verses that we have right here? We know that Jesus is the one who is to come. What's the reason why? Scripture says that He did come on this earth. He did. He was a man. He was born of a virgin. He came to die on the cross for a sin. He gave sight to the blind physically and spiritually. He came so the lame could walk. He came for the lepers to be cleansed. He came for man to be spiritually healed. He came to set the captives free from the bondage of sin. Think about that. Are you in bondage to a certain sin in your life that you need to get rid of? To cast away? What's holding you back? And the other part of the application, Jesus is the one who will come again. Talks about his second coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 reads, But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready and are you prepared? Are you worried about the world or are you worried about your salvation? I'm not worried about my salvation. I never doubted my salvation I doubted things in my life. I should have came to Jesus more. Are you prepared? What something to meet your maker is a phrase. For those who do not believe in Jesus, today is, a, today is the day. What's holding you back? Is it the world? Is it the government? Is it any other idols in your life? And I've asked this question many times in my previous ministry. If you were to walk away today and you were to die in the street, are you going to heaven? Will you be in heaven with the Lord? You need to check yourself, because it does say you need to work out your salvation in the text. Not by works, but we need to be in the Bible all the time. We need, it's that sanctification process that we have. Brother and sister, I care for each and every one of you from this pulpit here. Our desire as elders and from the past is that everybody be saved here. It comes from the doors and we leave. The time is now. We don't have to look very far in what's going on in the world. I'm thankful that Jesus is in my life. Sometimes I forget to tap into that more. But that's part of the, the growing in faith. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Jesus is the one who came and will come again. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for today. Holy Spirit, continue to move us this morning. Holy Spirit, convict those who need conviction this morning to come to you, Jesus. Father God, I pray whoever is in need of some help, especially spiritual help this morning, that they would come to you. That they would accept your son Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the many souls that have been saved that walked through these doors and many years in this church body. Father, continue with our, with our shepherd, Pastor Dave, and his family. Be with him. Thank you for this summer for him to get other things that need to be done for all of us, for the ministry he's looking forward. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' precious name, and God's people said, Amen.